Greetings once again, Retreat Church. Today we start a new series called Value Alignment. And we are looking at our individual lives as well as the corporate life of the church called the Retreat Church. And we just want to check in because I think it's interesting to ask ourselves a question. Do our values, our stated values, line up with the activities in our life, how we spend our resources, how we spend our time, the things that we do and don't do? Does all that activity in our life that makes up our day-to-day, -day, does it align with what we say we truly value in life? And when we have that kind of alignment, I call it value alignment, that what we say we really value and find important is actually what we spend our time, energy, and resources on, and it drives what causes us to make a decision. If you started looking at some of the decisions that you made recently in your life and you asked yourself, what drove me to make that decision? What caused me to say yes to this? Or what caused me to say no or to refrain? Or what caused me to choose some of the actions that I've chosen? And then you start looking at what you say you value. So if I just came to you and I asked you a question, hey, what are the top three values of your life? You would say, well, I value my family or I value my relationship with God, value a career, or you value these different things, maybe honesty, maybe um, justice, maybe um, fairness, maybe treating people the way you want to be treated. You value those kinds of things. Well, I think that we need to do some work today because it, as we've been dealing with many of the things that we've been dealing with in our culture, I think that we've been forced to kind of ask the question, what do we really find important? Maybe when you last November went to the ballot box, you said, well, what do I really view to be important? Or when you choose you know, should I spend time, you know, with family over Christmas and over the holidays? Should we um, go to this gathering? Should I shop in this place? Should I eat at this restaurant? Um, should I attend church live or should I attend church, you know, online? And so a lot of these kinds of things have been brought up in our life and we find ourselves in need of asking ourselves the question, what do I really believe to be important? What do I really value in my life? And are these values that I that I say I have, um, are they driving my decision making? Because if there's one person that you and I are great at lying to, that's ourselves. You know, and that may sound strange, but we do that in regards to our values sometimes. So if I say I really value my relationship with Jesus Christ, but yet I'm always giving into peer pressure around me, then Really, I value my, the opinion of my peers over the opinion of God, though I say I, I, I value God more than people, but we're pretty good. I'm pretty good, and I know some of you don't want to hear that, but as a preacher, you know, but I, I'm pretty good at lying to myself, and I've needed to take the Word of God, and I've needed it to reflect reality back to me. And as I read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit challenges my heart, and it points out places that I lie to myself. And so as we talk over these next couple weeks, we're going to look at three core values of the Church of the Nazarene, and we're going to ask ourselves a question. Do we really believe these things? Do we really value these things? And are these values driving what we do as a local church, and are they driving what we do as Christian people? And so the first one today is this, the value of being a Christian. Isn't that interesting? It's a good question. Do I value being a Christian? Do I value um, following Jesus Christ? Do I value being a part of this um, global universal movement? Even some would even call Christianity a cosmic movement. It, it affects us 
all, affects all of the cosmos, all of creation, because all of creation is broken, and yet God is restoring all of creation. So when you start thinking about Christianity in that way, it moves beyond a um, an American religion. It moves beyond a, um, a a basic worldview. It moves beyond politics. It moves beyond many of the things that divide us today. We start thinking about how much do I really value my relationship with Jesus Christ, and how much do I value my identity as a follower of Jesus and part of this universal church in the, in the scriptures called the body of Christ. And so we're going to look at that today. And the main topic is just, just this, that I want to challenge you to align your entire life, align your career, your family life, your education, your entertainment, align every single part of your life with this value of being a Christian. So that's going to be a big question for us as we move through. But as we move through today, I want to kind of look at four different things of why um, we can value or what is so valuable about being a part of this massive global movement, this mission of God, this body of Christ called the church and Christianity. The first thing is, is in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 2, we notice that there is to be, um, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, there is to be one God. And then in reality, there's only one. Think about that for a second. One God for all people. You know, there are many world religions, aren't there? Many faiths, many beliefs. But does believing something make it true? Does naming something make it true? Or is there an objective reality in the spiritual realm and that objective reality really is that there is one God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, one non-material, non-contingent, eternal being that we refer to as God. Is that really the case? Scripture tells us that it is, and being a Christian is believing in that objective reality that there is in reality, one God, and this one God is for all people, not for just the Jews, not for just nations that have somewhat of a, a Christian base or a Christian foundation like America, um, like much of the West, and looking at this and, and seeing is it just a Western kind of idea, but when we move into the East with, with the pantheon of gods and Eastern religions, and, and but what is really real? What, what is really present objectively beyond all of our opinions. The scripture says this in Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 5 says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. So if I tell myself I, I'm placing at the top of my value chart my identity as a follower of Jesus. All of my decisions and all of the way that I view humanity is going to be based upon this objective truth that there is one God for all. And if God has created all people and God has um, created all people in his image, then I'm going to view all people, no matter their culture, no matter their race, 
I'm going to view all people as created by God and for God. And part of my life will be witnessing and testifying to the fact and the reality of this one God. And I'm going to value the existence of one God for all people above all other perspectives and all other ideas. And that's going to drive my decision making as I relate to people around me. A second thing would be that there is to be one leader of God's church of being part of what we know as the universal church. And I was asked this week that when I say universal church, what do I mean? Someone thought that I meant universalism, which is a total different um, ideology, isn't it? Universalism is the idea that um, no matter what your faith and no matter what you believe, that in the end, all people are saved and all people will bow the knee before Christ and enter into heaven and God will redeem all things and God will even redeem Satan himself and Satan himself will be right along in heaven with us. And, and there is no idea of hell. There is no place hell. There, there's there's none, no eternal punishment. None of that all is redeemed. That's um, universalism. So I want to clarify, that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying the one universal church, maybe a better way to say it would be the global church of all of the denominations and all of the branches of Christianity and all of the different expressions of Christianity in their in, in, in their cultures and in their histories that was we bring all of this together, the Eastern Church and the Western Church, the Orthodox Church, the Protestant Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and we come together and all those who have identified themselves as followers of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures that that is the universal church. And I know some of you are listening to this right now and you're going, but wait a minute, what about all the differences? What about, you know, Calvinism and Arminianism? What about the Baptists and the Nazarenes and the Methodists and the Episcopals and on and on and on and on and on it goes, right? Let me summarize a big, big chunk of Christian history for you. These divisions in the church from are from some basic components without giving you a whole dialogue about it. But there's some... Some that have started because um, humanity drifts. And so um, as the church would drift, God would raise people up to try to reestablish that and bring that back to, to the scriptures. And those men were often kicked out of the church. The, the biggest one that you and I probably um, know is Martin Luther, right? 1517, as he was believed and he was part of the Roman Catholic Church and he was part of that. And that as Martin Luther came in, and he noticed all of these unbiblical ideas, and he came back to and was used by God to protest some of the ways that the church had moved away from the scriptures. And as he protested those, he was kicked out, and then he formed what we know as the Protestant movement. And that's a big, 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 big loose summary. But various things have happened throughout the church history that have caused these types of divisions. But there's also these um, unhealthy divisions when somebody starts to follow a specific preacher or a specific man. And we start to say, well, this kind of Christian and that kind of Christian. And that has created unnecessary and unbiblical um, boundaries within the church. And if we're going to value being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then we're going to start to lower all of our opinions about well, it's this man or this woman or this place or this place or this denomination or that denomination. We're going to lower those and we're going to start to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, where Paul addresses this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you by brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he's asking all those questions in the negative. Of course not. Of course none of those men were on the cross. Of course none of those men died for us and redeemed us and brought us justification and salvation. None of those men did that. And, and, and neither did some of the men that we like to put on pedestals today. None of those men died for us. And so we have to take our um, differences and we have to understand that there are differences of emphasis. There are differences of opinion. But in the essentials, we must find unity. In the essentials of the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh and that Jesus did die upon the cross and raise on the third day for the forgiveness of our sins and all who put our trust in him will be saved and follow him and be filled with his Holy Spirit. Those, those are the essentials. Every week at the retreat church, we state as a congregation, we state the Apostles' Creed. We believe that that is a good summary and a good place to find unity that all who would agree to that statement of faith would say that they are part of the universal church. Now, of course, there are differences, and there are cultural differences. There are different um, um, emphasis on certain doctrines and those kinds of things. But we believe that at the Retreat Church and the Church of the Nazarene, we believe that before we are Nazarene, before the Retreat Church, before we um, follow our, our, our what we call our church manual, before we do any of that, we understand that we are part of the universal church and that we do not seek to separate or elevate ourselves above any other branch of the Christian faith. That That's just not our goal. Our goal is to live out our purposes of emphasizing scriptural holiness and in the experience of sanctification. We, we do believe that. We, we, we do want to hold to that, but we're not saying that if you have some differing opinions that you're not Christian or that you're not saved or you're not part of the body of Christ. Not that at all. And we appreciate the differences and we appreciate and value the differing opinions and we're doing our best as human beings to discern what the Holy Spirit is sharing with us through the word and together if we do that and have positive conversations without belittling or demeaning one another we believe that we can move forward and we can make progress in our understanding of scripture of, of, of scripture and so there is one God for all there is one leader Jesus Christ and there and also there's to be honor among differences we're not to eliminate. Agreement doesn't mean that we're eliminating all opinion or all question or all emphasis. We're not saying that we're ignoring that. That would just be a blind refusal to accept reality, right? But notice what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 when he talks about there should be honor among differences. He says this in verse 3 through 10. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body of Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in, pro in proportion excuse me, to our faith, if service in our serving, 
in the one who teaches, in his teaching, to the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, and outdo one another in showing honor. So in all of these places and all of these different groups and different local churches and different expressions of the traditional creeds and the universal church, all the different expressions of that, we should outdo each other in honoring one another. And so the command here in the scriptures for the Church of the Nazarene and for the Retreat Church, the local expression of the Nazarene Church in Ukaipa, is to outdo, is to honor other churches, to honor the way God is operating and moving within each and every congregation throughout this area, and to pray for them, and not to put them down because they do it differently than, than, I, than, than we do. And that is something that is so natural to us as human beings. You know, it is natural to me, I confess to you, that it is natural to me to look at the way other churches do things and to try to elevate the way I think they should be done above theirs. That's not, that's my natural, sinful human nature is to say the way I do it is better than everybody else. And that is just not the case. And that is something that we as leaders and pastors need to really outgrow. And one way to do that is to discipline ourselves. And one way that I'm trying to overcome that battle in my own heart is as I drive around town to various different places, anytime I pass a church, I pray that the Lord blesses them. And I humble myself and I am thankful for their position in the community and thankful for the leaders and the gifted people and all the ministry and all of the life change that is going on. Because my natural tendency to be um, critical of other churches, it has to be overcome. And so I'm overcoming that through praying God's blessing upon them. That's one way that I have to move and one thing that I have to change because I know that I want to have value alignment in the way that I'm leading our local church as the pastor and as, as I'm operating in the Ukaipa area. I want to be a pastor that honors other people, but I know that my own tendency is to be arrogant, egotistical, that think that my way is the best. And so I'm asking God to help me. And as I drive around town, I pray for other churches and I ask God to help my heart because I need growth in that area. And maybe once again, I find myself preaching to myself and the things that I need to grow in. There's a fourth one still, and we finish up with this, is that there is to be no division by race or social status. Oh, what a, what a craziness that is, right? And um, there's a lot of sensitive things going on today in our culture when we look at this. And um, so let's dive in. Let's just look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. He says, here, meaning in the church, here there is not Greek or Jew. See, so, you know, let's stop right there for a moment. That was the major ra racial division of the first century was Jew and Gentile. And you could take whatever... Um, whatever racial division that we have in our country today, depending on where you might be and how you might see that and what community you live in. And notice he's saying there's no Greek or Jew, so kind of plug those in and, and do that. I don't think that that would be a misuse of Scripture. I think we'll be okay there. And he says circumcised or uncircumcised, that was, again, a, a cultural, religious kind of thing that God had done in the life of the Jews. It was massive in the Old Testament. It wasn't a massive in the area of the Jewish relationship because it was the sign of the covenant with God 
But then we get to the New Testament and things start to become fulfilled. That the reason that God did that among the Jews in the Old Testament was now being fulfilled in Christ. And the sign of a new covenant was a circumcised heart because God had fulfilled that. And so now when we watch, go on, he says, no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. But on them, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Guys, this passage of scripture can be massive, isn't it? It addresses unity. It addresses bringing down racial and social economic walls. And it does so by what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And how much healing can take place in the racial divide that is in our country with each individual hearing the complaint of the other and offering forgiveness, not revenge, not a lot of the things that we're trying to do today, but seeking forgiveness and reconciliation through the unity that is found in following Jesus Christ. So the concluding challenge is this, to value being a part of the universal church. I want you to think long and hard about that as a follower of Jesus Christ and say to yourself, do I value just my own little ideas? Do I value just my church or my denomination or my specific um, place? Or do I value the entire body of Christ? I believe that if we value the entire body of Christ, I believe that some predictions by the vice president and COO of Moody, Moody Center, Moody Bible Institute, he made some predictions back in um, July of last year. And he said that if the church responds positively to the things that are taking place in our culture today, he believes four things can come true if we value and if we um, come together as a church. He believes this, and these are so positive and so encouraging. His first prediction is this, that the church in the United States will move away from public dialogue that is more divisive than unifying. Can you imagine if churches and individual Christians say, I'm going to value my place in the universal church and that we will have private discussions about our our, our divisions and our um, and our disagreements that we will bring that stuff in house we will love on each other we will forgive each other we will understand that there is one god there is one leader that we must honor differences and there should be no division social or racial divide and we come together that now our public display of unity will be evident to those that aren't following Christ and for those that live in a world and they're sick and tired of the division and the hate and the hypocrisy and the lack of forgiveness and the lack of unity and reconciliation, that they will find a place in the church where people can have good discussions and that they honor one another for the differences. They seek reconciliation through forgiveness and we speak more of unity than we do 
of division. Prediction number two is that the body of Christ in the United States will rediscover a deep appreciation for the history of God and his work in our midst, that we would all begin to appreciate what God is doing. We're going to talk more about that one um, next week. Prediction number three, that the body of Christ will learn to be disciples. In other words, we're just going to be learners. We're going to stop saying that we know everything, and we're going to stop making our opinion be the only opinion that wants to be spoken, right? But we're going to learn. We're going to relearn how to learn, giving us new ways to testify faithfully to God in the midst of a challenging and fallen world. And then finally, number four, the next generation church in the United States will recapture a theological vision of reality that we will dismiss the idea of subjectivism and we will relook at the objective reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the objective moral obligations and duties that have been set forth to us by Jesus Christ. And so God bless you today. I pray that you have value alignment, that your value of being a Christian is shaping your decision-making as you seek to follow Christ in a lost and broken world. God bless you. We'll see you next time.